0: You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part seven of a series in 2nd Corinthians. 2nd Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I will pause our reading there after verse 15 of uh, chapter 8 of Second Corinthians. Paul's turning to a new subject in this chapter and in the next one he's talking about giving not giving in the general sense but specifically giving from the churches in Greece Uh, in Macedonia the churches had already done this and Paul's encouraging the Corinthians who live further south in what we would now call Greece to do the same giving to the need of the churches in Judea Jerusalem and the surrounding area so those churches had faced difficulties it's probably a combination of factors that there would have been a, a greater poverty or at least food poverty in that part of the world due to circumstances there but also the christians there had been rejected in many cases by their families uh, if you read the book of acts you find that they were generous in giving to one another and that they sold possessions as needs arose but eventually if you sell enough possessions you don't have any more to sell And so the the churches in uh, Judea had reached a point where they needed support from outside. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, Romans 15, verse 25 to 27. He says, at present, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So Paul is saying there in in, uh, Romans that the spiritual blessing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, of course, came emanated from Jerusalem, from Judea out to the churches in Macedonia, the north of Greece and Achaia further south. And uh, so they had received a spiritual blessing from the Jewish church in Jerusalem and now these Gentiles uh, were being encouraged by Paul to give something materially in return. It's a beautiful picture of how the global church might work, that at any point in history some parts of the global church will have relative material wealth and they can contribute to the material needs of others. Uh, But at the same time, the parts that are spiritually rich might not be the same as those that are materially rich. So I think many Christians today would recognise that whilst the West has material riches to share with our brothers and sisters in Africa and in Asia, there uh, is often a greater spiritual wealth in some of those churches, partly because they face persecution and so their faith is tested and partly because they're, they're growing and so there's a a great gratitude and uh, an appreciation that we can learn from in the West where we feel like we're shrinking and where frankly materialism has distracted us so often from our commitment to Christ. So uh, this is the context of what Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians 8 and Paul tells the Corinthians about the generosity of the churches of Macedonia and how their joy has um, led them to overflow in generosity. They gave according to their means and beyond their means, but they gave willingly. In fact, Paul says they begged for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so uh, Paul says this is because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In other words, their giving flowed from their surrender to God. Everything they had belonged to him. That's the starting point for thinking about Christian giving, the recognition that we give ourselves to the Lord and that giving is an act of grace. So we give ourselves to the Lord and we recognise that everything that we have is given by him. And so we ought to excel in the grace of giving as as the niv puts it in verse seven or the act of grace that is giving paul reminds the corinthians in verse seven of things that we read about in first corinthians that this was a church that prided itself in its speaking gifts in its knowledge just read first corinthians 13 where paul reminds them of the need to be loving and you'll see that they, they were quite proud of their knowledge and quite proud of their uh, the gifts that they had, but often they weren't using those gifts in love. Well, just as they had to use those gifts lovingly in the church, so there is another grace gift that they can give not only to their own congregation, but across the globe to Christians elsewhere. And Paul uh, is very clear in verse 8, he's not commanding them to give but he's giving them an opportunity to show that their their love is genuine and that this should flow from their appreciation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, verse 9, the one who was rich became poor for our sakes so that through his poverty we might become rich. Paul wants them to complete what they have begun because they clearly have begun to gather something a year ago for um this offering verse 10 says and he wants them to finish it uh, and so that they can complete it if the readiness is there Paul says it's acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he doesn't have in other words uh, we should give according to what we we have Paul doesn't expect them to make themselves poor by giving but he talks about fairness Again, this idea or equality, as the NIV puts it, this idea of fairness is found in Exodus chapter 16. That's the verse, verse 18 of Exodus 16 that Paul quotes in um, this passage in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 8. And there, um, that's uh, an account of the manna that God sent. And uh, they made sure that that they gathered what they needed even though some of them gathered more and some of them gathered less when they measured it whoever gathered much had nothing left over whoever gathered little had no lack it's not clear in exodus 16 whether that was a miraculous thing that irrespective of what they gathered god evened that out Uh, or whether they evened it out and made sure that those who gathered more gave to those who gathered less. Um, But the principle is very clear that each person should have provision for what they need. And so this idea of fairness or equality is vitally important. Paul is saying that Christians should seek equality in terms of what they have. It shouldn't be that some have plenty while others are in need. And there's a principle of that globally, but sadly, as I look at the church today, I don't even see that principle working in our local congregations. I see congregations where some people have much more than they need and others have uh, are struggling to get by. Uh, I should be clear, by the way, in my part of the world, uh, in the church here, we have another problem in that most of our churches tend to be quite middle class. And therefore, few people in the church are truly needy. But even there, there is an inequality. Some are rich, while others only uh, are, are are on average incomes or uh, whatever. I think we have a lot to learn about the grace of giving. A lot to learn about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question really ought to be, if God has given me more than I need, then what has he given me that extra for? How can I give so that, that uh, the needs of others are being met? Now, as I've said, the context here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is giving for famine relief amongst Christians. But you can extend that principle to think about giving to mission and to the ministry of the church. How much should you give? Well, Paul doesn't restate the tithe. I know many Christians do tithe um, uh, because the Old Testament teaches the principle of tithing, giving a tenth of your income. But that principle is never repeated in the New Testament. It seems that what we're meant to do is to give freely out of the grace of God. And that, I think, for most of us will mean giving more than a tithe. So what will we give to uh, the relief of poverty amongst Christians? What will we give to Christian mission and Christian ministry? What might we give to the relief of poverty amongst those who aren't Christians, if we're able to as well? Let's read on then to the end of of chapter 8, beginning again at verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honourable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our own brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. We'll pause our reading again at the end of chapter 8, finishing at verse 24. So Paul is sending Titus and another unnamed brother who is famous for preaching the gospel to the church. Titus is going to minister to them. uh, And uh, we've already seen that Titus brought a report from this church to Paul. He was part of Paul's team, one of those delegates that Paul sent, like Timothy, to other places. But part of Paul's reason in sending uh, Titus and this other brother is to uh, bring some blessing and encouragement to the church in Corinth to restore his relationship with them, but also to protect them, of course, from the false teachers. But thirdly, because he he wants to uh, give them the opportunity to send their gift towards the provision for the poor in Judea. And Notice that Paul is being very open about this. he's saying that we want to do what is right in the sight of people verse twenty one not only in the sight of the Lord. The administration of the gift has to be done openly and transparently. Paul is saying that there is a a risk when we're taking money, of course, that people might think that we're embezzling or keeping it for ourselves, but Christian leaders must be transparent in all things transparent in their preaching of the gospel. We saw that. In chapter 4, transparent in their lifestyle and in the promises they make to people. We saw at the beginning of Second Corinthians, transparent in their suffering as an example of the grace of God, but also transparent in how they handle finances. And sadly, the church and the reputation of the church has been damaged when Christian leaders have not been transparent in handling money, but Paul was determined that he would be. Let's read on then into chapter 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We'll pause there after verse 5. You can see that Paul is trying to be very clear with the Corinthians that they really need to follow through on the promise that they have made. Uh, That is important for their own reputation, it's important for his, and of course it's important for the needs of the people that they are giving to. Paul has encouraged the Macedonians to give by talking about the willingness of the people in Achaia where Corinth is to give. Now he's reminding the Corinthians and saying that uh, they will need to follow through so that the Macedonians can see uh, that they are genuine and that Paul is genuine. Uh, He's using persuasion, you could say, not manipulation. He makes it clear again it has to be a willing gift, a generous gift, not given grudgingly, not under exaction, uh, verse 5, but uh, given willingly. But at the same time, he wants to persuade them to do what is clearly right to follow through on their promise. So a year before, they had promised that they would make a collection and they would give, uh, and now Paul wants them to come true on that promise. but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We'll end our reading there uh, at the end of chapter 9 verse 15. Now again Paul is uh, telling them what they should do that he's reminding them that there is a basic principle that if we sow sparingly we reap sparingly if we sow bountifully we reap bountifully. Now this is not a simple equation. Paul isn't saying that the more you give to Christian mission then you will become rich. After all the seed Uh, that is reaped is sown again okay please notice that this is not the prosperity gospel type preaching that if you give to this ministry or if you give to God God will make you rich in this world's eyes which usually means then you um, can uh, have a, a lavish lifestyle for yourself no this is about the the economics of service and of blessing in the kingdom God blesses. And of course, his blessing comes in different ways. There is the blessing of thanksgiving as well as the blessing of giving. Uh, It's beautiful that there is a part for everyone to play. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But at the same time, when we receive, we receive. um, uh, When we receive, we can give thanks. And that, too, is a blessing and brings glory to God. So Paul says to them that they should give what they've decided in their hearts to give. There's no compulsion, there's no reluctance. What God is looking for is a cheerful giver, someone who gives from the heart generously and of course that ties in with what the Lord Jesus taught. He taught about giving in secret in Matthew 6, not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing, not giving to show off to others but giving uh, for God and for his purposes and the person who he held up as a an example of generous giving was a widow who gave two coins she gave generously because she gave freely from her heart and she gave sacrificially not like the rich people who were giving much larger amounts but um, who who were only giving a fraction of what they could have afforded uh, and clearly were doing it for their own praise this woman gave sincerely. God loves a cheerful giver it's a a good question to ask of our hearts, isn't it, whether we are cheerful givers? Are we people who rejoice in giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving from our talents, giving financially if we're able to? Do I rejoice in giving? Am I great cheerful in giving? well, if I'm not, if I'm not generous. Then have I really understood? Am I really grasping? Am I relying on and drawing upon the grace of God? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, but he became poor. Look at how much God has given us. It's the same principle that runs true in forgiveness, isn't it? When I forgive, I'm only paying back what God has done for me to others, I'm passing it on. In that sense, I. I have been forgiven much, and so I should be ready to forgive others if I remember how much God has forgiven, as Jesus taught in Matthew 18 in the parable of the unmerciful servant. Well, it's true with giving as well. If I realize that everything I have is a gift of God's grace, if I recognize that where I have plenty, it's not just for my own indulgence at all, not at all for that, but for the blessing of others. So I should give what I've decided in my heart. Now, it's a good question. What what? How often do you stop and think and test your heart about how much you give? Maybe you've been giving the same amount to church for many years and your income has increased and you've never increased the amount that you give. Well, stop and think. Decide in your heart. Maybe you, you don't give at all or don't give regularly at all because you don't pause to think. And Paul assures us, he says that God is able to make all grace abound to us. If you're thinking, well, if I give, then I won't have, well, I think Paul is rooting what he's saying here in something else the Lord Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about giving in secret, he also said that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because our Father will provide what we need as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what Paul says here is very similar, that the Lord will provide. He will provide generously to us. I mean, after all, what we already have is given by him. In that sense, we are stewards of it. It doesn't really belong to us. So the question is, what has God entrusted it to me for? And if I give to support others when they are in need, then surely others will give. God will move them to give in my support when I'm in need. This uh, dynamic of giving and receiving works within the community of God's people. So we have sufficiency at all things at all times. We have what we need, and so we're able to give more, give away what we have above what we need. Paul quotes again uh, from uh, this time from Psalm one hundred twelve, verse nine. In uh, in verse nine here, he quotes from that Psalm verse nine uh, and uh, about God's giving and 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 how God has given it at least in the ESV it puts he has distributed freely um, uh, and the implication is that God is in view but of course um, in the NIV when it quotes that psalm it uh, puts uh, that they have scattered freely and their righteousness endures forever but here the NIV is avoiding uh, gender exclusive language as it often does. Uh, If you read the Psalm, it's not God who is the giver, it's actually the righteous person. So if you're reading the SV and you thought, well, it's God that it's talking about who's given freely, no, it's saying uh, that we, that the righteous person has given freely. This is an act of righteousness, giving to the poor. It's a marker of the righteous man who will never be moved that he gives freely to the poor, an act of his righteousness. So uh, the, the example is there in the Psalms. The call is there in the Psalms. But the Lord is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, and he will supply and multiply the seed that we have. So as we give and if our prayer is to be able to give to others, then God will enable us to give to them. Not only, of course, financially, because as we saw from Romans Uh, The Judean church, which didn't have a lot to give financially, certainly couldn't give financially to the churches in Greece, but gave from their wealth of spiritual knowledge the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So we all have something to contribute. Each of us has a gift to contribute, some material gifts, some spiritual gifts. Uh, And so Paul's desire is that they will give materially and so that thanksgiving will abound to God this is an outflowing of the confession of the gospel of Christ it's an obedience by their approval of this service Paul says verse 13 they will glorify God because of your submission this is about submitting to God doing what God will have us do or obeying him God's gift is inexpressible or indescribable verse 15 says that the chapter ends with that beautiful statement well what is God's gift to us his gift of grace that is Jesus our redeemer and so much more besides and what Paul wants here in these these chapters is that our hearts would be gripped by the indescribable gift of God the grace of God towards us so that we will become like our heavenly father generous cheerful in giving ready to give what we can to those who are genuinely in need now again that's not saying that you have to give to everybody who asks you should be discerning about where the real needs are you should be giving in a way that is most effective in relieving those needs Sometimes that doesn't mean giving money to people. Sometimes it means giving them resources or giving them assistance or giving them training that allows them to make money. Development is important as well. So try and look for those charities that will make most effective use of your money if you want to make sure that you're giving uh, to the need and that your giving will really uh, help that need. But think about this locally as well but you're giving to your church and the people who may be in need there or who are in relative need compared to you. It is a great blessing to be able with whatever is in our hand to give glory to God, to give to others so that they may give thanks and to receive from others what we need from them. So don't worry if you're listening to this and you really can't afford to give, that's fine, but just ask, well what can I give? If I can't give money, What is it that I can give? Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's uh, just some thanksgiving to God for what others have done for you.